welcome to the Enneagram One Project Podcast with your host, Dominic Vandal, where ones come to learn mindset tools and embodiment techniques to reduce frustrations, quiet their inner critic, and live a most expansive life. If you're ready to make your unique oneness your superpower, then this is the show for you. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Enneagram One Project Podcast, Episode 5, Decoding the Inner Critic for Good. In this episode, I am offering you my take on the inner critic because I have found it super useful for me, and I think it could offer some relief to you as well. There are loads of theories about this, and I don't know that we'll ever know exactly which is most accurate, especially as we keep making discoveries on how the brain works. Now, some say it's the voice of a parent. Some say it's an internalized, external view of ourselves. Again, most likely from a parent. I don't much like those options, though, because it puts blame on someone else, making them the villain, and puts me in a victim role, which I'm absolutely done volunteering for. And what I mean here is that by default, if I'm putting the responsibility on someone else's behavior, it makes me completely powerless. Add to that the feeling of being done something too. Now think about it. It's downright disempowering. So what is the inner critic? It's simply a collection of well-rehearsed and well-practiced thoughts that your brain cycles through because that practice has kept you alive so far. So the brain thinks they are essential to your welfare, or at least a good option. Let's take some time here to dive into the brain. Our brains are really amazing. Think about it. Because of its need to avoid pain, seek pleasure, and conserve energy, my brain has come up with a bunch of shortcuts I don't even need to think about that keep me safe and alive. That's freaking brilliant. I'm all in. When I cross the street, for instance, I automatically look both ways. I register the information without really thinking about it. Then I either wait, cross, or speed up my pace, whatever it is. But I didn't really have to think about it. Good job, brain. In short, We are constantly programming that brain for these types of shortcuts. The super simplified formula is that you're faced with a situation, the brain chooses some way of dealing with it, and then if the outcome is at least somewhat favorable, that gets programmed as a good option. This eventually creates strong neural pathways in your brain, which means it no longer has to think about it. It just executes. Neural pathways are a series of connected neurons from one part of the brain to another. This, of course, is a very, very simplified explanation. But what's important for today is understanding that the neural pathway makes getting to that shortcut easier. The first time that the connection happens, it'll be kind of slowish and sluggish. But the more you use it, the faster it gets, the stronger it gets. And next thing you know, it's automatic. Some of these neural pathways have to do with things like brushing your teeth. I mean, when's the last time you really contemplated the mechanisms of brushing your teeth? And some of these are thought patterns, or what is also known as habitual thoughts. 
Those are the thoughts your brain cycles through because they've been programmed as these sort of shortcuts. Now, remember, I talked about the need of the brain to avoid pain, seek pleasure, and conserve energy. That's actually called the motivational triad, and it's always in effect. So whenever you attempt to do something new, the brain is like, wait, wait, what? That's the opposite of what keeps us alive, human. I have no way of knowing if there will be pain. I have no way of knowing if there's any pleasure over there. And it's going to take a bunch of energy just to figure this out. Nope, I'm out. See, the brain's sole purpose is to keep us alive. And that's being threatened. So now the brain will cycle through the thoughts that have worked in the past to hold you back from doing something new or something that the brain perceived as dangerous. These thoughts are often, but not limited to, I'm not good enough. I shouldn't even try. Or just, I'm not smart enough. Or I don't have enough time to make it perfect. So I won't attempt. Others have done it so well. Who am I to do it to? So you see, your brain, unattended, is always operating from the motivational triad to avoid pain seek pleasure and do so with as little energy use as possible. That means that if this group of thoughts has kept you alive, it's not going to want to work to come up with new thoughts. That's more work and it has zero certainty that those thoughts will keep you safe, these new ones, while the other ones have. So unless you ask it to come up with more useful thoughts, it's not going to. And you probably never chose, like actually took a second and said, yes, brain, I want to believe that I'm always lacking in some way. But at some point in your life, believing you were lacking created an urgency to improve something. And the result may not have been great, but it was good enough for your brain to classify this thought as useful in keeping the human alive. In fact, the next time the human you, is wanting to improve something, I'll remind the human that they are flawed because that has given us an okay result. As ones, we have that running in the background most of the time. It sounds like, how can this thing here be even better? It's not a bad thing, but when the inner critic comes in, it adds a flavor of, well, criticism to those thoughts. And that never feels good. I want to add here that it's not that keeping you alive is a low standard. It's actually fantastic. That is what made our ancestors survive. But now that our basic needs are met, the brain hasn't caught up. Of course, I know, I know that that is not the case for everyone. But I imagine that if you are listening to this podcast, and are basically able to afford the tools necessary to listen to podcasts, or if you're reading the show notes or the blog post for this episode on my website, that your basic needs are met. So that's the assumption that I'm making here. So my theory on the inner critic then is that it's no more than a collection of thoughts that have worked in the past, but that the brain is misusing in the moment. The brain itself not being too concerned about how good the effect of this thought is in your life, so long as you're still alive. 
like I said, for us ones, it has a tone of criticism because as ones, we've trained ourselves, programmed ourselves to look for how to improve what we see. That means that at the developmental stage, when we were fortifying our personality, events occurred. And when we experimented with improving the situation, it worked. It helped us to stay out of trouble. We found a way to belong within our group. And we may have even been praised for our actions. Really, it's quite boring when I explain it this way. That's what we want, though. The more we make the inner critic bigger than it is, more important than it is, more shady than it is, the more difficult it is for us to lower the volume on what it's saying. The more power those sentences have, the more they debilitate us, and the more we believe those thoughts as being fact. But they're not. Thoughts, no matter how often you hear the same ones, are not facts, and you don't have to believe them. And listen, I don't say this to minimize the effect believing that inner critic has on us. I know it far too well. It's hard to have self-trust when this is the voice you hear the loudest. It's challenging to go after your dreams when even your own voice is constantly saying you can't. And it's debilitating when the voice keeps telling you that you've messed up or that you have committed a great atrocity towards another. That's just my experience with the inner critic, but I'm sure many of you can relate or have similar stories. So yes, the effects of the inner critic can be devastating. But when we know what it actually is, remember, a collection of thoughts that have worked in the past, but that the brain is misusing in the moment, then guess what? The monster isn't so big and bad anymore. The next question is, how do you know if it's your inner critic that you're hearing or if you're being discerning? Your body. The answer is always your body. Any thought that's from the inner critic will have you feeling some version of disconnected, such as closed, judged, defensive, unworthy, incapable, flawed, and urgency, just to name a few. Okay, so I know that identifying emotions takes practice. So let me give you a few easy tips. If you can't quite name them as you feel them in your body, you can pay attention to your body language physically. Is your body coming in towards itself like a slumping or is it opening up? Whenever it is slumping, it's an indication that the emotion is undesired. There's this protectiveness of yourself by your body. If it's opening up, then it's expanding into possibility. Those two will tell you which it is. If you're closing in, it's your inner critic. If you're in a place where you can try this now, I encourage you to, to try. So try on a thought, just one at a time, as if it was a coat. <laughs> Start with one thought and notice how your body unfolds or folds in, then try another. Give each thought a moment to really land in your body. This is but one of many ways to learn to identify the feelings in your body. The more you practice this, the faster you'll be at just noticing, oh, wait, 
I'm closed in. That must be my inner critic. Take a moment and explore that thought. Do you want it or not? On the other hand, if you're opening up, if your chest is expanding, not in a defensive way, but really expanding, then you're in possibility, like I said, which means you might actually be discerning. I do want to make something clear because we're most likely all ones listening to this podcast. I don't want you to now think that there's something wrong with you and that you should be really, really critical of your inner critic or that it's even a problem that it's there in the first place or that it's something else for you to improve about yourself and that you will never be complete, whole, and worthy until it's fixed. Instead, I invite you to consider that it will always be there because your brain is wired to be efficient. That includes recycling thoughts. The conflict that we create when we think it shouldn't be there adds more challenges, making it harder for us to make any progress with it or to just be intentional with it. Now that we've uncovered what the inner critic is, where it comes from, and how to identify it, I want to offer that you 100% get to decide how to approach the inner critic and what to do when you notice it. It's entirely up to you now. So I want to offer you a few questions for you to ponder. You can absolutely answer the following questions from your mind. It is what we're used to. However, consider answering these questions from deep within, as opposed to from the head. So if you were to quiet yourself first, what does your gut tell you when you hear these questions? What do you want to make it mean about you that you have an inner critic? What do you want to make it mean about your ability to function that you have an inner critic. And lastly, what do you want to make it mean about your worthiness that you have an inner critic? I personally like to think that my brain is great at keeping me safe and it just needs some redirection at times. I'm also still 100% worthy. The critic is part of my wiring and I wouldn't change anything. The inner critic is a brain shortcut. You, dear one, are the essence that notices it. It cannot be more powerful than you. Those are my thoughts. Those are the decisions I have made regarding my inner critic. Hopefully they'll help you. Before we go today, I want to invite you to join my email list because I'm finalizing the details on my upcoming workshop. And I always announce these events to my email list first in the weekly newsletter. So if you're not on there, consider this your official invitation. You can get on my email list by going to dominicvandal.com slash links and By the way, did you know that there's a free guide to help you stop the frustration spin now that's available in that exact same place? You may as well grab that too while you're there. It's definitely what I wish I had when I discovered I was a one and that I was looking 
for tools to support myself. Until next week, love to each and every one. Thank you so much for listening to the Enneagram One Project Podcast, your go-to podcast for all things one. Now, if you're wanting to integrate what you're learning here and be supported by your very own personal Enneagram One Life Coach, then I invite you to head over to my website, dominicvandal.com, D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-V-A-N-D-A-L. Look at the very top of the page for the Work With Me tab. I'd love to be the one in your corner helping you to navigate your oneness. Let's make it your superpower. 